Uh, why don't you introduce yourself for everybody listening? Okay, my name is Steve Breaker. I'm, uh, I live in East Africa and I'm an author of uh, action and adventure thriller books, which I write about. Uh, my hero lives on the coast where I've lived for the last 20 years in Mombasa, East Africa. So why, first of all, why, why did you move to Africa? Like, we, we, need, <laughs> everyone, we need answers. <laughs> everyone, everyone asks me that question. It was, uh, it was a bit of a spur of the moment decision. Um, I have four children. <laughs> They're all grown up now. But 20 years ago, they were very young. And I was living and working in central London, which is a very big, dark, horrible city. And my children were becoming inner city children, which I, I personally, I didn't like. I was brought up in the countryside. Gotcha. And I didn't, I didn't like the fact that they were being brought up in the concrete and steel, as it were. Makes sense. I had been to Africa a few times. I'd been to Mombasa a few times, and my wife then was uh, from Kenya. Oh. So we just sort of aimed and ahed and thought about it. And one day I was watching my daughter run at a school um, sports day in England, and it, she was terrible. She wasn't. It was like it was like outside was wrong for her. <laughs> so I thought, that's it. We're leaving. And we packed up, and within three months, we were in Mombasa. I sold the company, um, rented out the house, put our stuff in storage, and off we went on a big adventure. Wow. <laughs> that is definitely a big adventure. What is it actually like when people hear, in, in general, people hear Africa, they either think South Africa or desert and nothing and that phrase, their kids starving in Africa when you don't eat all your food. Exactly. Um, we live in Mombasa, which is Kenya, which is called sub-Saharan East Africa. We're sort of in the middle between the Sahara Desert and South Africa. But for me to get to South Africa, I have to cross about four different countries and it's about 2,000 miles away. So it's, it's a long mm -hmm. way. Kenya, where, where I live, especially Mombasa, is on the coast. So we live on the Indian Ocean. It's a tropical place. We have palm trees and coconuts. It, it isn't full of starving children <laughs> at all. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite an up-and-coming city, Mombasa. Uh, our capital city of Kenya is Nairobi, and that's a very up-and-coming uh, city. It's quite a comfortable place to live. It's We live right on the equator, so we have 12-hour days. Every day is 12 hours. It never changes. Um, we don't have daylight savings and things I like that. I hate daylight savings with a fiery passion. It ruins <laughs> everything. We don't have darker evenings or lighter mornings or anything like that. Our day always starts at around 7 a.m. and always finishes at around 7 p.m. And that's what that's, you get. That's very nice. That's <laughs> I like that. Just straight schedules. <laughs> well, it's one of the things about people say, oh, don't you miss the seasons from England? And I say, no, I don't. I never miss the seasons. I heard there weren't any seasons in I, England. I autumn is pretty and all that stuff, <laughs> but I love my 12-hour days. 
and I can plan for a barbecue because I know it's going to be sunny. Awesome. <laughs> That's always the best. Yes. I finished the book African Slaver. I liked it. You enjoyed yeah, it? Yeah, I did enjoy it. There were some technical terms that I wasn't overly familiar with, uh, so I had to look them up, but that was the boat terms. Right, yes. But I did like it. Oh, good, good. It kept a straight, even pace all the way through, didn't get slow anywhere. Oh, so good. do you have any of the same type of training as Brody, your main character? None, none of the fighting, <laughs> I'm afraid. None of that. <laughs> but um, I, I can build the Dow. I, I, I ran a boatyard here for many years uh, while my children were in school because it gave me a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm very competent in Dow building and engine repairs, and sailing a Dow. I can sail a sailing boat and I can sail a Dow. I'm a scuba diver, paddy diver instructor. Nice. I can free dive. Um, I love fishing, which is what Brody does quite a lot of. So I am. I know all those sides mm -hmm. of it, but the punching and the fighting and the shooting, no, I don't. <laughs> So what what then made you pick that for him? Um, as growing up, I was I've always been into action and adventure books and series and TV shows mm -hmm. since I've been very very small, and I've always loved a good honest hero who can't help himself but be a hero. So I I, so I sort of melded the two together. When my children left, I I found that. Um, I didn't have as much to do as I used to have when I had four kids running around. Yeah. So um, I was looking for something else to do. And I really loved the idea of being a digital nomad. I just have this like romantic, wonderful idea about it. And so I sat down and I thought, how can I become, not that I ever will be a digital nomad. I'm not going to pack my, my things up and move to Thailand, but, I just love the idea of it. I love the idea of the freedom. It's like taking freedom to a new level. If you're self-employed, like I've been self-employed my whole life, then you're free, but you're tied to your company. Mm -hmm. So this new sort of digital nomad world really appealed to me because then you're only tied to a laptop and you can put it in your bag and supposedly walk away. So... I was thinking, how can I become one of these digital nomads? And I did some research and I landed on, um, after doing a load of research, that a good idea was if you could write a book, write a book. So I thought, what the hell? I'll give nice. it a go. <laughs> so you didn't start off with aspirations to be a writer. You just thought, hey, this might be a good it idea. Came, I, when I was a lot younger, living in London, I owned an English language school. I used to teach people how to speak English. Oh. So I was I was very into the grammar and the language and language structure and uh, the formal side of language. Mm -hmm. So I have had a quite I've always been interested in words and language. I learned Swahili when I got here because I, I love learning the language. When I lived in Thailand, I spoke Thai. Uh, so I'm sort of one of those people that gets attracted to the words and uh, the way they work. So I think that put me in good stead. And writing a story has always been something I quite enjoy doing, but I just had to change it and expand it and turn it into a book, which is which is quite a 
quite a difficult task, but it was great fun. That's good. Can you say a little bit of something in Swahili so I can hear what it sounds like? Okay, I'll say hello. Hujambo is hello. Abariya Leo is how is the day. Unaituanani is what is your name? It sounds very pretty. It is a very pretty language. It's a very enjoyable language. Unatokawapi is where are you from? It's all very melodic. Mm -hmm. And it's a lovely language to learn. Lovely language. Is it difficult? To get the basics in place just to function, it's not very difficult. But then when you get into it and you start enjoying it, you find it gets very <laughs> difficult. I suppose it's the same as English. When we used to teach people English in London, to get them from spoon and door and hello to having a mid-level mid intermediate conversation only takes about three or four months. But then when they come back to you and say, oh, I want to know properly how to speak this language, mm -hmm. Then the hard work begins and the grammar comes out and it becomes a whole different ball game. So it's very similar to, I expect, to many languages. There are some that just boggle my mind. I, I just don't understand. Japanese or Chinese. I couldn't fathom those languages. No, they sound so pretty, though. But Chinese is, exactly. if I'm correct, is all about cadence. So you can have the same word. But if you say it in different ways, it means different things, I think. Exactly. And I can't even properly speak I English. I think learning one of those languages is, is a lifetime's pursuit. I, I think. would think so, too. Yeah. Not like Swahili. Swahili, you can learn in six months. Hmm. If Well, if you have the aptitude for learning languages. I do not. Like, I can, I can barely <laughs> get proper English out of my mouth. <laughs> you do well for an American. Oh, <laughs> Well, I see how it is. You can edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I read in your in your book, it says, you know, the the people are fictitious, but the places, the descriptions of the places are not. That's correct. I've been to all of the places in the book. I've sailed the coast of um, East Africa from probably the tip of Mozambique until Somalia. So I've, I've sailed the whole length. And I've stopped in all of those areas mm -hmm. uh, where Brody stops in African Slaver. In Pemba, I used to take divers to Pemba for many years. Um, diving is a beautiful place to dive, Pemba. And we used to sail there uh, and anchor just inside one of the beautiful lagoons mm -hmm. and then take the people diving. The village where Brody sort of lives at the beginning, that's pretty much like the village where you have to go to get your passport stamped in Pemba. Then he sails all the way along the coast to a place called Kiwayu. I've spent a lot of time in Kiwayu sailing and diving. So yeah, all of my books, I have five books now. All of them are areas where I've been and actually put my feet. I can always describe the locations. They're not made up at all. That's cool. Does the, the when the girls... Does that sort of thing happen still a lot or did it happen? Was it previously in history? It was more of a common thing than it is today. Previously in history, it was more of a common thing. People are still abducted from this coast and taken to those emirate areas and kept uh, as slaves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not done in quite the way that uh, it was in the book or bundled onto a dow and, and 
taken off, but it still happens regularly. All of your books, they follow this character, Brody, yeah? Yes, I have five. I'm just releasing a new book on the 8th of December. Uh, so I have five, and they all follow the adventures of uh, this um, William Brody. He was in the Special Forces, and he got disillusioned because in Somalia he had to do some things he didn't want to do. I don't want to give any spoilers for anyone who right. hasn't read the book. And then he ends up um, retiring and heading off to Africa because he's always been in love with Africa. And he ends up in Pemba, where he meets up with some nice guys and starts doing stuff. And then that's how his first adventure begins. And then he tends to carry on with the same team. Oh, nice. He has, he has his friend Hassan and his other friend Gumbao. They run the Dow that he then gets. Mm -hmm. And him and his team and the Dow travel up and down the coast and they get into accidental <laughs> scrapes. And they don't go looking for trouble, but it tends to follow them around a bit. So are they all different? Like, it's not a continuing series. It just has the same characters. So they're each different adventures. That's right. Each book can be read alone. The second book is about uh, the Sharia law mm -hmm. and how it can affect uh, islands, especially the islands uh, in Tanzania, where they try and take over with the Sharia law. And there was a big uprising here by a bunch of terrorists called the Kayabongo. And they uh, tried to take over areas of the coast. So it's about him fighting for the village oh. against, again, and also there's treasure in there as well he has to find. <laughs> uh, the third book is called African Paradise, which is about an actual event that occurred uh, in a town just north of here called Matwapa which is about a terrorist attack on a hotel, Israeli's hotel attack. Oh. Um, and, and the actual bombing occurred. It, it really did happen. And it's just his involvement in it and how he tries to thwart it and how he pushes his way and finds out about it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the next one, the, the fourth book, is called African Ivory, which he ends up uh, chasing ivory poachers. And... Uh, stopping them killing the elephants and all that. And it's all about the river he's on, which goes a long way inland. And that's an interesting book because he meets different tribes along the river and he has to fight with the ivory smugglers and try and win the day and stop them smuggling ivory. And then the one I'm about to release is called African Vengeance. Mm -hmm. This one is slightly different. It starts off in Mombasa and he gets in with a bunch of uh, drug smugglers. He destroys all their money. So he has to go and find the money again to replace it or his friends get killed. Oh, geez. So it starts in Mombasa and it goes down to a town called Tanga, which is one of my favorite towns on the East African coast. I love Tanga. He spends a lot of time in Tanga on that one and on his Dow. And it always has a bit of fighting, <laughs> a bit of uh, intrigue, a bit of history. Um, in the African Vengeance, we talk about a battle between the British in the First World War that happened in Tanga, called uh, the Battle of the Bees. The, the Germans and the English were fighting, and they all got stung by bees. Bees just came out of nowhere and actually stung them and chased them away, and both sides ran away and left the battleground, which was very strange because bees. the place that they wanted bees. to invade was in the end left empty <laughs> because the bees stung them all, chased them away. <laughs> and that's a true story. Wow. That's that's going right up there with my knowledge that Australia once fought a war against birds. 
I'm going to tell people that I know <laughs> that and it's going to be weird and it'll be fun. Yes, The Battle of the Bees. So those are the five books. Say the fifth book comes out on the 8th of December, but they're all standalone reads. You can you can read them in, you know, in any order, really, as well, if you want to. It's probably best to try and read them in order because a few things do carry forward, like his relationships and how his friendships develop. Mm -hmm. But you can read them out of order as well. Cool. Do we get any more like a little bit of any more backstory on any of the other characters? There are three main characters. There's William Brody. He's called Brody all the time. I say he's an ex-soldier, bit of a drinker, bit of a tough guy. I like to sort of make him a bit like John Wayne, for mm-hmm. instance, like a tough, broken hero. Mm-hmm. He'll always do the right thing, but he also drinks too much whiskey and he's a bit rude. But he's inside. He's a good, solid guy. Then the the second guy I have who came on board is called Hassan. He's a Swahili mm-hmm. guy. He's a devout Muslim. Uh, he sort of is the goodness in the crew. He's not a wheeler dealer. He's a straight shooting kind of guy, but he's just a nice Swahili person. He's molded on a friend of oh. mine, actually. They're all molded on friends oh. of mine that I've known over the years. Um, they're not just made up people. They're, they're sort of <clears throat> taken from two or three friends, maybe. But um, he's a really nice guy. He does a lot of the cooking. He's a really good sailor, born on the boats. Uh, fisherman, that kind of uh, like Swahili man from Old Town. Mm-hmm. In, we have a place here called, in Mombasa, called Old Town, which is a very Swahili town. And then the third one is called Gumbao. He's a good African Giriama from the Giriama tribe. And he's just a, a live for today kind of guy, a wheeler dealer, happy if he's got few pounds in his pocket. If he hasn't, he's still happy. He likes to enjoy his life. He loves to play checkers, which is a big game here in the bars. He loves to drink too much. (laughs) He quite often ends up in prison for over drinking and and fighting and robbing people. So he's like the, how would you say, the maverick or the, the oddball in the group. But he's good. He was, he has a slight back history of being in Mozambique during the Civil War. So he can handle guns, mm-hmm. but we don't talk about it much, and he doesn't talk about it much. But it's it's a nice backstory. Nice. So those are the three main characters. We have a lady called Wanjiku, who's a Kikuyu lady who Brody has an on and off thing with. She comes into a big part of African Vengeance, where she's actually the heroine. She does a very good awesome. job and saves the day. Exactly. She saves the day. He's really good. Everybody loves that. And then I just have a host of other African people that I know that come in and out. How do you pronounce um, the, they called him grandfather in the book. They, yeah. How do you, uh, it's M-Z-E-E. M-Z-E. It's called M-Z-E. Yeah, it means grandfather. Oh, okay. I'm just pleased that I, correctly pronounced Dao in my head. I was like, hey, yeah, just like it's spelled. But some of them I'm like, exactly. I have no idea. You've got to try and just do it phonetically. I know it's hard sometimes, mm-hmm. but um, I have a good friend who was talking to us the other day on with um, some other people, and he's called Njirogi. And 
that people are having a problem saying his name, but you've just got to try and say it phonetically. Do you think it's easier to to hear it and say it than it is to read it? Well, for me anyways. By far easier to hear it. Yes. Yes. Because it's your your brain doesn't put the letters, those letters together very well sometimes. And it's not used to seeing how they're pronounced. Yes. Like M and Z don't normally follow each other. No, exactly. <laughs> Z. And N and G. We have a lot of N and G mm-hmm. together. Mm. It's like it, mm, it makes the sound. Mm, and you just have to learn that. Are the fish really that big? Which, yes, just... they are. Yes, I sports fish a lot. And fish can be enormous. It can be completely shocking when you catch a big a big tuna or a sailfish or, or a dorado or any of those big fish. It's it's amazing. They can be huge. Because you said something about uh, in the book about like a 45-pounder fish. And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. That is a bit extreme, but it's not impossible. Because it would be a bit boring if you just caught a little tiny Well, one. that's true. But no, no, that fish could eat me, could eat my foot. When we when we catch the sailfish here, uh, they can be enormous, really big, as big as a person. Wow. How do you even catch that? It takes a while. It's like in the book. It's not a five minute thing. It takes a long time to pull the pull the damn thing into the boat because they're strong as hell. And um, we have a rule which I think I say in the book, where um, if you're on the line when it goes, that's your fish and you. You can't pass the rod to anybody else. It's just you. Mm. Do you do the spearfishing? A little bit of spearfishing, but it's not allowed in Kenya. I have to go to Tanzania to Why do Why isn't that. it allowed? I don't, I don't know anything about spearfishing. Here we had, um, back, in the, back in the late 70s, there was a very, very strict rule on all kinds of guns mm-hmm. because people were just shooting the animals in the game mm-hmm. parks. So the government very wisely said no more guns. Only the police and the armed forces are allowed to have guns. If you have a registered gun, you can, but you have to register it with the government and tell us everything about what you're going to do mm-hmm. with it. And included in that guns thing was the spear gun for shooting fish. So they outlawed that as well. So if I want to go spearfishing, which I do occasionally, I go to Tanzania. Brody does spearfishing in Kenya because it's part of the story. But in reality, it's against the law. Good to know. No spearfishing in Kenya. No, but Tanzania, just next door, you can do it as much as you want. (laughs) (laughs) Does he, in, in, in the other books, does he encounter like, any wildlife at all, or is it just fishing? Yes, yeah. In African ivory, he spends a lot of time in the bush, and he go he meets up with the buffaloes and the lions and the, all the other different creatures that are in the in the wildlife parks. He's always diving and fishing, so he's always meeting fish. So mostly, mostly meets up with fish. Oh, there you go. Do you ever occasionally have a lion or something wander through town? No, not in Mombasa. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that was a long, long time ago, but not now. No, no. We have up in the hills, we have leopards, but uh, only up in the hills. The people have chased the animals away from the city. That's probably for the we best. We don't have anything, really. 
Well, yeah, we, we've got game parks where we keep them and they're, and they're kept and they're properly patrolled and the wardens are there to look after them. Uh, if we get snake, we get snakes on the coast mm. um, quite a lot. So those kinds of animals we have. We have pythons, which uh, live quite in the just off the main roads in the villages. Mm -hmm. And we have the, the nasty snakes, the spitting cobras and the mambas, mm. which are still are very much around where people live. Yikes. But not lions. <laughs> no lions. You don't have a random giraffe wandering through sticking his head in your window? No. <laughs> no, no, I'm afraid not. Not a random giraffe. Uh -huh. Or an elephant, though. I was driving to Nairobi the other day, and there was elephants on the side of the road as we were driving along, which is interesting. I think it's just—it's a weird like disconnect for me because you're driving down the road, and there are these massive animals, and they just sort of exist next to you. Whereas I'm in my backyard, freaking out about the raccoon that's standing like five feet away from me. I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna get eaten by a raccoon. <laughs> You don't have bears where you are. No, not in the center. All right. Okay. I think uh, the biggest thing we got going on. I know we have some coyotes. I think we might have some cougars. I could be wrong. I could be really wrong. <laughs> I know we have coyotes and a lot of deer and raccoons. Impossible. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> now we have a lot more than that but mostly the game park is about two hours drive from where i live mm -hmm. but they're all there everything is once you get inside you have giraffes running around and elephants and buffaloes and zebras and ostriches and the whole shebang all running around all over the place that's wild that's that's got to be a thing to see it, i i agree with you I think it should be a thing that um, everybody tries to see in their life. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm sure zoos don't do it I justice. I used to take my children camping there regularly, and, and they loved it. They loved camping? it. Camping? Yes, you could camp in the game parks. There's like areas where they've cordoned off, which are you're allowed to put up a tent. Oh. Um, it's quite eerie at night, because you can still hear the lions roaring. I'll bet. That sounds kind of scary. That's like camping? Wow. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> Not with lions. I'm good, thanks. <laughs> they're, they're sort of, in. obviously, you can keep them out, but there's, we never had any problems, and it was nice. It was really lovely to camp there. Wow. Kids loved it. I'm just thinking of what the stars would look like. I'll bet it's beautiful. Exactly. Yes, we have it's getting worse here now, but um, if you leave the main city areas, mm -hmm. especially if you go sailing, at nighttime, the stars are absolutely fantastic. It's amazing because there's no light pollution once you get out of uh, the main areas because there's just no electricity there. Right. So, um, so that the people, you know, they live by the clock of the sun. And they get up in the morning and they go to bed at night and there's nothing much going on outside of that. So it's absolutely black, black, black dark. When I go and stay with my mother-in-law in a place called Sega near, um, near Uganda, she's in the bush and she hasn't got electricity. And at nighttime, when, when it's like the, those 
paraffin lamps get turned off and mm -hmm. everything, it is so dark. You forget what real darkness is like because I don't think we get it very much. No. It's, it's absolutely black, pitch black and silent. After all the animals go sleep, because they do squawk about mm -hmm. for a bit, but it goes absolutely silent. It's a lovely place to sleep. That that also sounds like a place to see a thing to experience. Yes, that's real bush though. <laughs> How did she get along like without air conditioning? She has doesn't even have a fridge. Look, I am I am a weak human being. I need air conditioning and refrigeration for my food. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it, how uh, how a lot of the population of the Earth live without those basic things. I know. It's really interesting. It's funny, strangely, she's got internet. <laughs> she has a smartphone. My wife bought her a smartphone. <laughs> she, she takes it to the shop to get charged up. Well, all right. I mean... And then... And then she can exactly get your priorities exactly. straight. Exactly. My priorities would be AC. Don't call me. I need the air conditioner. <laughs> so do you have any plans for any other books? Or are you going to carry on with just Brody for as long as? For the time, I'm going to carry on with Brody. I've started a new mm -hmm. one about, um, about witch doctors. Here we have uh, things called Magangas which is uh, like a special kind of witch doctor. And also our, um, our Swahili uh, population have genies, which are all very interesting. Genies? Things. They have good genies. genies and bad genies and genies that take over your body and genies that make you money and genies that do this and that. Oh. And the Magangas can cast spells to make you get rich or to make someone else, you know, lose their wife so that you can grab their wife and all this kind of stuff so it's quite intriguing so i'm writing my next book is uh, Brody getting involved with that which will be fun yeah but i think i'll carry on with him for a few more books yet there's enough stories in africa for him that sounds like there could be a lot more all the time yes yes there are plenty there's plenty of stories to talk about here. yeah <laughs> sounds like it i highly doubt you'd run out of uh inspiration there no no it's more or less, I was a boat builder for many years, and uh, so I spent a lot of time sailing and fishing and diving and meeting people and traveling to places. So I have a, quite a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. So the, what did you call them? The genies. genies. Are they? The magangas. Magangas. Genies. Are they the same kind of concept? Uh, are they the same concept as djinn? Uh, the, from yes, yeah, the genies are the same contact as gin. Ah, exactly. Cool. That'd yes. be interesting. Yes. Yes, and we have a lot of them. You know, people believe they live in your house and all sorts of things. Oh, really? So and they live in baobab trees, which is nice. What's the the upside down? You know, the baobab tree, the upside down tree, big gray tree. Yeah. Um, it can live. It can live well over two thousand years. It's an amazing uh, tree. And the genies like living in them. So it's a nice thing, a nice package to start telling a story about because you have the tree, which is so old. Mm -hmm. 
and because uh, because if you if you think about the age of the tree, we have a beautiful baobab tree in in central Mombasa, on the island near one of our big tourist sites, which is Fort Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Fort Jesus was built in the 1400s by the Portuguese. And those Portuguese sailors walked past this baobab tree the same as I do now. So it's amazing because you can tell by the girth of the baobab tree. It's a very, very old one. Right. Don't they get just so massive? Yes, they do get enormous, really enormous. And they're lovely trees, lovely color. They make a nice fruit. Oh, I didn't know they had fruit. Yeah, they have a little, like a pod that you can take that falls off. And then you can eat the little seeds inside. They're full of vitamin oh, C. Oh, cool. Kind of like a, a pomegranate. Yeah, like a hard pomegranate. You snap it open and then the seeds are inside. Hmm. What's it taste like? Yeah, lots of people eat it because it's very sweet. Very sweet. When you're done, if ever, with William Brody, uh, would you be writing more action-adventure books? Maybe. Yeah, I'll see, really. I'll see how far this goes and how much fun I have with it, really. As I said before, I, was, I quite enjoy this idea of um, being a digital nomad. So if I can keep writing stories, then I will. As I said, there's lots and lots of stories to tell. And in, if you look in Amazon, there are not very many writers who write about things that I write about. Right, very true. Um, so, so I'm hoping that lots of people <laughs> will start liking it and, and uh, keep me going, writing more and more stories. Because you, you find a few books about Africa, but not really, not really like the ones I write. And some of them are very obviously written by people that are not in Africa at all. I was reading a book the other day about an action and adventure book, and this team of mercenaries were in the Congo. Mm -hmm. And they stopped off at a place to get some food for breakfast, and they all had bacon sandwiches. It's like, that ain't going to happen in the Congo. <laughs> You'll have some sort of soup <laughs> with maybe chicken, maybe something else, maybe some fish. Like bacon, huh? Could be, could be a goat or a donkey or whatever, but you ain't going to see no bacon. <laughs> but like Sometimes when you're writing about stuff that you don't know about, I feel like even the little things like that should probably double check some things sometimes and that's what i thought when i was reading it i thought you know i've been in shacks in very very strange places and there's always some food going on the other day i was up in a place called kalalani and i was uh, i was looking for, for some breakfast and i went into this funny little we call them bandas they're like very small you would like a restaurant, but with a with a grass roof and like mm -hmm. little plastic chairs, this kind of thing. And I sat down and I, I cannot I know I can get tea because you can get tea everywhere. So I said, I said tea. And then I said, I want some food. And he said, yeah, sure. We've got food. I said, what have you got? Can I see the menu? He said, there's no menu. You can have goat, goat soup. That's, <laughs> that's the food we have today. And that's what we're <laughs> serving. And that's the end of it. Nope, nope that's, that's it. it. No it's options. <laughs> so you should check your yeah. facts. Do you self-publish? Yes, I publish only on only Amazon. Only on Amazon? Yeah. I don't I don't I don't even put it into the other places like Apple and Kobe and stuff mm -hmm. like that. 
I only put it on Amazon. I'm not very, that side of it, I haven't really, got, I've got some people who help me with that side of it. And they're sort of taking it over and, and doing it in a better way than mm. I did. It, that whole side of it seems is, tricky. Yes, yes, very tricky. I, I don't really want to get involved either in it. I like doing the writing. And I, I like it that people enjoy my books mm -hmm. and uh, read the books. And I get lots of emails from people who, who do enjoy the books and read the books. And I, I find that really pleasurable. Um, but the actual marketing and pushing the books and trying to sell them, I find very difficult, very difficult. I enjoy doing podcasts because that's just that's nice chat yeah. and, and a, a fun thing to do. But going through the statistics of everybody and what they're reading and that's not the fun stuff. And it's statistics and spreadsheets. So I'm not interested. Yeah, no. How did you decide you were just going to publish right on Amazon? They were the first ones I mm -hmm. found. But they also have a, like a double thing. They have the book. And also they have this page read thing. Kindle Unlimited. And then you can get the books and read lots of books on your subscription. Like a library. Yeah, I quite like that idea. And if you're, if you're in Kindle Unlimited, you can't do it anywhere else. So you have to be sole rights to Amazon. Ah. So I figured they're a big company. Jeff Bezos can look after me. Be okay. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. He could totally look after you. I'm sure he thinks about me I a lot. Bet. I'll bet you're a top on his mind when he wakes up in the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so on that note, do you want to go ahead and plug website where they can find you? Anything like that? Of course. Yes. Thank you very much. Thanks very much as well for having me on your show. I think it's great. Sure. My website is stevebreakerbooks.com. My Instagram is African Ocean Adventures. And my Facebook is African Ocean Adventures. And I'm also on Amazon. If you just type in Steve Breaker and then put uh, African Slaver, for instance, all the books will pop up. I'm in quite a niche area mm -hmm. in Amazon, so my books pop up quite quickly. If you go to the website, stevebreakerbooks.com, there you can see everything. You can contact me. You can join my newsletter, which is just stories about Africa mm -hmm. and things I've done, places I've been, and historical events and things like that that I'm interested in. And you can also access the books. This was lovely. Yes, I enjoyed yes, it too. Thank you for coming on and telling me about your books. <laughs>